program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, parents, families, and other interested folks. 411 Teen provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront, intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield. These are troubling and challenging times. The historic pandemic and the pursuit of good mental health are in full view. Anxiety is one of the most common mental health challenges among children and teenagers. But it can be difficult to tell when, ch- when kids are feeling anxious. According to the National Institutes of Healthy, uh, sorry about that, let me do that one again. According to the National Institutes of Health, nearly one in three of adolescents aged 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. Frankie's Fishy Feelings by Quincy Caden came out October 10th, World Mental Health Day. Quincy offers a number of tools and coping mechanisms kids can use when they start to feel anxious. Quincy provides a helpful resource, not only for kids and teens, but anyone who cares about children and teens in managing their anxiety. Author Quincy Caden has suffered from anxiety as long as she can remember. She experienced a particular distressing panic attack on a plane that resulted in her and her mother being kicked off the plane in another country. Quincy, welcome to 411 Team. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, I look forward to talking with you. Anxiety is one of the most common mental health challenges among children. Dr. Lindsay Bergman is founding director of the UCLA Pediatric OCD Intensive Outpatient Program and the Associate Director of the UCLA Child and Adolescent OCD and Anxiety Program. I welcome you, Dr. Bergman, to 411-TEEN. Thanks so much, Quincy, what was the significance of the title of the book, Frankie's Fishy Feelings? Yeah, well, first off, I wanted to introduce the character. So that's where Frankie comes in. Uh And then fishy feelings was a term that I thought would be good to attribute to anxiety. It's not stating it completely at first, but later on in the book, you get that definition of what anxiety is and how it manifests in your body. But I thought it was a nice way to kind of connect with kids and it it could be a term that kids could say if they're not comfortable saying that they're anxious. They mm-hmm. could say, I'm feeling fishy feelings right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that that's very cute, and it really relates well to what you are talking about. According to the National Institutes of Health, anxiety is the most common mental health issue in childhood and adolescence. And I think you've, you've provided a real helpful resource um, and sharing sharing that in your, your book. Um, when did you recognize that you needed 
assistance, needed help, needed you needed some kind of intervention? Quincy. Yeah, so I thinking about it for a couple years. I've mm. been really I mean, it was hard at school for me to, you know, fit in and kind of just struggling with that. And so a couple years after that, I realized as I was going into high school that or, I'm sorry, middle school mm-hmm. that I really wanted to address the problem because I wanted to be able to raise my hand in class. I wanted to be able to go on play dates. And mm-hmm. so I talked to my mom and she found me a therapist, Dr. Bergman, and it kind of went from there. Okay. Well, Dr. Bergman, for the listening audience, what is anxiety? First of all, um, anxiety is a, a normal, natural um, feeling and experience that everybody has, and it's actually um, adaptive because it it uh, warns us um, humans and animals um, of of danger. Um, but what happens is that it can become a little over overly sensitive and that's where it's a problem so it's it's a feeling feelings or thoughts that there's there's danger up ahead um so so at times it's adaptive you know telling us that Mm -hmm. there's there's danger you know i smell smoke there's danger i feel anxious um but but the kind of anxiety that um Quincy was experiencing and that's a problem is when you're getting those thoughts and feelings in the absence of true of mm-hmm. true danger and a truth a true threat and we usually think of anxiety as involving um thoughts thoughts about a, a threat um feelings like physical sensations and behaviors um, avoiding things, crying, things like that. Mm-hmm. Quincy, share with us some of your specific anxieties, how you were feeling when you had them. I mean, did you find yourself tearful? Did you find that you wanted to cower someplace in a corner? Did you find that you wanted to just um, run away? What kind of anxieties, how were they manifested? when you first recognized that you were having some issues? Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely say avoidance was a big thing for Mm me. I would cry. I would have panic attacks. And that's not something that I wanted to feel, obviously. I don't think anyone would. So I would try to get out of certain things, get out of doing certain things. I would pretend to be sick so I didn't have to go to a play date. Obviously, I was feeling sick. I don't know if I realized that, but it was really a lot of avoidance for me. Um, Obviously, there were some tears. There were um, stomach aches. There were, I couldn't, like, I would hyperventilate. There was a lot of physical symptoms, but I'd say it impacted me the most in avoidance. Nobody picked up on these? Nobody noticed them because... Some of them are very physical, and you would think that someone would see what you were experiencing and maybe at least, you know, draw attention to it or ask you about it. 
Yeah, I think just because I didn't know what it was. I knew mm-hmm. I was feeling scared. I didn't know what name to put on it, though. So I would just think I was sick. Oh, okay. And I knew I was nervous, but I couldn't really place a name to the feeling until I was a little older. Mm-hmm. And so at first, I think it was just, oh, I'm feeling really sick. Dr. Bergman, talk about the symptoms that are involved in anxiety disorders in kids and teens, if you can, and maybe make that distinction at, with the maturity, how, how uh, the symptoms may change or they may just, the behaviors may change. The symptoms, you know, you might see more, you know, fewer tears as a as a child grows mm-hmm. up. Um, uh, and and the disorders themselves tend to tend to change, seeing um, relatively less separation anxiety as as kids go get older. Um, social anxiety tends to increase as kids reach adolescence. So the the you know different different kinds of anxieties predominate at different times um but certain things like the you know the avoidance is really throughout because as Quincy says like those uncomfortable feelings you want to stay away from them um you know what, what you were asking Quincy about didn't people notice this what often happens is even when parents and others notice it's mm-hmm. really hard to know what to do because like when, you know, Quincy didn't want to go to play dates or didn't want to go to school and she was in such distress. Often what happens is parents notice, but they don't really know what to do other than kind of say like, okay, then you don't have to go because what, what are they going to mm-hmm. do when they're, they're, their kid is crying and saying like, I don't want to go. And even when they're saying, I don't want to go because I'm scared the parents kind of left with, well, should they force their their mm-hmm. shaking, crying kid to do something that they're scared to do? Because that that doesn't feel right. So then, and then if they let them not go, that actually mm-hmm. kind of perpetuates and it ca- causes the anxiety to get worse. Mm-hmm. So this is a message to parents. At what point, how will parents determine um, what's happening with their kids. And they, they may not have the technical name and know that it's an anxiety disorder, but at what point would they seek professional intervention? I mean, and what are the signals or what are the signs that the adults in these children's lives, what are the signals that say, look, Maybe you need to take this to another level. Um, obviously, your child is having distress. I mean, if you're having a child that doesn't want to go to school two or three times a week um, and is having problems and you take them to the doc, the medical doctor and they don't find anything wrong, and you, at what point do they go Something is not right here. You know You know what I'm trying to say? I want you just to hold your thoughts. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, I'd like to have us look at that particular perspective and how we can help the adults 
and children's lives uh, who are experiencing anxiety. We're going to take a brick, brick, quick break um, on 411 Team. Just tuning in, the program is 411-TEEN. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and on the Zoom platform, I welcome Quincy Caden, author of Frankie's Fishy Feelings, a valuable resource for on anxiety for kids, and Dr. Lindsay Bergman, her first therapist. Dr. Bergman, I was just asking you if you would share some pointers, some you know um, signs of what parents need to be aware of when their children may be having these this distress, this anxiousness. Um, that's sure. it. Yeah. Uh, so you really want to look for um, interference and impairment. Well, three things, interference, impairment, and, and distress when those get high. Mm-hmm. And you want to look for when in several different spheres um so uh, you know the different spheres of the kid's life mm-hmm. so that's going to be social um their their social relationships and at school um and mm-hmm. at home also so are these are is anxiety or even if you don't know whether it's anxiety or what it is but but are those different spheres in their life not what they should be? Are they not able to function at school academically or just to stay in school? Are they calling home a lot and asking to come home and seeming to not be able to stay in the classroom? Are they not able to um, have peer relationships? Is there Are their relationships at home suffering um, or impaired? Mm-hmm. And are you, are you not able to have to to function as a parent because you're needing to push so much to you know that that they can't go to school and that's that's taken over the the home life of trying to get them to go to school um you know has it is that's what's central to all the conversations is is pushing because that all the conversations are about no you need to go to school and crying and tears um you know if they're talking about being anxious but everything else is fine, then maybe it's just a normal level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have a whole bunch of friends and they're hanging out with their friends and they're doing well in school, but they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm anxious about this or anxious about that, then it's mm-hmm. probably within the normal, normal amount of anxiety that, you know, life is kind of hard and a lot of us <laughs> are anxious. Right. So what I really hear you say, saying is it is the degree. I mean, 
we all, everyone experiences feelings of, of anxiety at some time. I mean, anxiety could be described as, you have mentioned, um, nervousness or, or uneasiness or fear or dread. I often say dread of what's about to happen or what might happen. Um, while fear is the emotion that we feel in the presence of this of the threat. Anxiety is a sense of anticipated danger or trouble or, or threat. Would you agree with that perception of it? People distinguish between like, like if there's really an immediate danger or mm -hmm. threat um, versus anxiety is like something in the future that's anticipated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, when do you usually see anxiety disorders appearing? I mean, is there a certain age? I know, and I'm sure I know it can occur at any point, but I'm thinking in children, um, is there a particular scenario? When do you first, when does one first start to notice that this child, they may not notice that the child is, is anxious, but the child's having some issues with anxiety? There are, really, there are different ages of onset for different mm -hmm. different disorders. So like separation anxiety disorder, which is like the, 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 the fear of either something happening to the child themselves when they're away from their loved ones or mm -hmm. fear of something happening to their loved ones. Um, the age of onset for that is, is pretty young, like, like five or six. Um, and then like social anxiety disorder, the age of onset is, is there's a, there are two different ages of onset, a younger one, and then, and then a, a big peak, um, around adolescence, mm -hmm. um, generalized anxiety disorder tends to be a little bit older, um, mm -hmm. more like the, the, um, adolescence is more typical. So there's, there's different ages of onset for different, different anxiety disorders. Quincy, have you noticed a change in the way your anxiety manifests itself since you've had it for such a long time? Yeah. Um, when I was younger, there was definitely a lot more tears. Um, and I think just now, since I've had it for so long, I've, first of all, been able to manage it and take it down to a low enough level for me to do anything. I'd like anything that I really want to do uh -huh. but I think just getting older it's been easier to like kind of hide I guess or conceal um so I could be in a social situation and be really nervous but I would not be crying or shaking uh -huh. obviously those symptoms will come up if I'm having a panic attack or like really severe anxiety but just kind of day to day, I've definitely been able to learn to control. Quincy, we've been talking about your book. Please share with the listening audience where they can purchase your book, if, if it's online, if it's audible, just so that someone may want to, um, to acquire it. Yeah, so there's links on my website. Uh, it's frankiesfishyfeelings.com. And within the website, there are coping skills that if you don't want to completely purchase the book, 
they're also accessible on there, but there's a link to purchase it on that website. Okay. Well, you know, lately we hear about the importance of, of mindfulness and the pursuit of good mental health. The numbers are rising steadily for anxiety disorders in children and in teens. Um, Dr. Bergman, what is causing this rise in teenagers with anxiety disorders? I mean, I know we've had COVID, the pressure to succeed, unrealistically high expectations, and they live in a threatening world. I mean, violence is on the streets and in the schools and social media, but from where you sit, what would you identify as the etiology um, in these anxiety disorders? I think you've mentioned them. <laughs> I mean, I think those those are, are contributors, but I, in some ways I feel like that's it's the $10 million question. I, I don't know. Um, you know, sometimes I think that maybe we're we're more aware and some of this has been there um but i don't think that's that's the the full the full answer um i think it is truly getting getting worse um and maybe that's because the the world is getting worse and harder to live in so I, i'm just I'm, I'm not sure and i don't know that mm -hmm. that anybody is is sure um the good news is i do think that that we're learning more about how to help um, the aware, because the awareness is better. I think we're understanding what kids are going through better and catching it and helping them. So it's not, it's not all, you know, grim. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, you know, just recently I read, and I'd like to get you pick your brain on, see what you think. I read an article in the New York Times, and this is maybe like a couple, just a couple of days ago. Um, what was it? Or maybe it was, I don't know, within the month, I'll put it that way. Um, Dr. Camillo Ortiz, and, and there was another woman there, Lenora Skenazi, and she was the president of, of a Let's Grow organization, pointed out, they, this was in the, the Times, it was an opinion, um, article saying that kids have become less independent and that they had found that since instead of riding bikes outside or, or walking home from a friend's house, they're more likely to be indoors on TikTok or in adult-run classes or organized sports and that this excessive, um, you know, causation, being worried about it and worrying about the child has led to their decrease in freedom. And because they have less decrease in freedom, their anxiety is shooting up. Um, even the Surgeon General said this is a crisis of our time. Is it possible that kids are growing up so overprotected to, to the degree that they're afraid of the world. I mean, I, I, I just am just picking your brain. I just saw that, as I mentioned, and it was in uh, the Times. 
and I wondered if you had any yeah. feeling or if you had any thoughts about that, that the, the reason kids are having increased anxiety is because they don't have any autonomy at all. Um, you know, the parents are doing everything. They pick them up from school. They walk them to class. They do, you know, and understandably so. Now, I'm not just uh, knocking the parents for doing this, but times have changed so that uh, parents have keep them under constant supervision, which in turn limits their opportunity to be brave and, and resilient. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought and it's mm -hmm. like that. And I have definitely noticed and, and experienced personally um just kind of like delayed uh, adolescence of of this generation coming up. I mean, meaning in my in my kids. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what I was like at 2021 20, versus what my kids are like. Um and is that because they were they were too protected growing up and is that leading to anxiety um because they weren't able to kind of experience their own like self-efficacy mm -hmm. and independence it's it's an intriguing possibility and it's it would be i think difficult to actually test that empirically um and see if it were if it, it were the case and then figure out how to start reversing that because it, i think it would be important to do so um because i think there certainly are ways that you know there there are, in certain respects things are more it's the world is more dangerous but in other ones it's probably not i know in my my neighborhood mm -hmm. um it's perfectly safe to walk down to the corner even for a 10 year old so, you know, maybe parents should be doing that more. Okay. I just wondered, I thought that was, you know, particularly interesting. Um, it might be hard to to actually, as you say, evaluate and test, and it might be hard to address how you change that. I mean, because depending on one's environment and the setting, um, this day will not allow you to have, for your children to have more independence, so to speak, so... Right. But, and, but there are other, there are also a lot of uh, creative ways to let your, have your kids be more independent mm -hmm. that don't necessarily involve walking down to the corner, you know, mm -hmm. doing, doing their homework on their own. You mm -hmm. know, oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even include the homework thing. <laughs> That's another whole thing with if we have these parents that are doing homework for them. And it, and it seems like that is a uh, a factor that has changed significantly when you talk with teachers. So, different world. Um, at what point, I want to go back to you, Quincy, um, because high school is, is a particularly anxiety-provoking time, um, I think, uh, especially as you become a senior. What's your classification? I'm a junior in high okay, school right okay. now. Okay, yeah, so you're right right in the middle of it there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you've got to think about what you're going to do if you're going to go to college, college applications, post-secondary education. You know, what are your plans? Where are you going? I mean, you hear it so much. Are you finding, how are you handling that? There definitely is a lot of pressure mm -hmm. um, just between my classmates and I. You know, like who's going where, 
who's going to get the best score on mm-hmm. the SAT. Um, so there's definitely kind of anxiety that stems from that. Um, but I think everyone feels that there's a lot of pressure on all kids uh, to kind of, you know, try to be the best. Yeah. Do you think it's too much pressure? I yeah okay I do I'm not sure I think it's definitely progressed over time that just I mean it's gotten so much harder to you know get into college or mm-hmm. be at the top of your class so I think that there's a lot of pressure that just stems from that. Dr. Bergman, what suggestions um, would you make to parents and teachers and anyone else who identifies with children? and teens concerning this high anxiety provoking life that they live. I mean, do you, and by that, I know it's kind of broad. I mean, will you identify tips maybe for parents and teachers on, on how to approach kids, how to approach young adults if you think they're experiencing um, anxiety symptoms, how you can be supportive You know, there's so many different ways that kids manifest anxiety. You know, there's the the pressure cooker kid who is is overwhelmed and, you know, the teenager who's trying to be perfect and is in too many clubs and has the straight A's and all mm-hmm. that. Um, and I have a particular um, issue with, you know, the, the, the parents who are telling their kids, just do your best. Mm-hmm. which a lot of people think that sounds really good, but um, to me, that's a, kind of crazy making. Like imagine if you're making dinner every night and someone tells you, just do your best, make your, make your best meatloaf. <laughs> Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, how do I make my best meatloaf? I know. <laughs> I, know. I had to kind of laugh when you said that. Let's do your, I know I've heard that a lot. Just do your best, do the best you can do. That's what everyone says, and they think mm-hmm. it's the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kid gets an A minus, and the parent sits down and says, "Let's go over what you got wrong." Why do you have to go over what you got wrong when you got an A minus? <laughs> right. Anyway, um, and then and and then there's the kid who's given up um, and doesn't try at all because they're anxious. So there's so many different ways and different kids who need need support. But one thing that I'll say is, you know, some of the skills and the coping skills and things that that um, that Quincy puts in her book, it's really important to practice those, not just when you're feeling anxious. So really simple things like a deep breath or, or grounding yourself. It's really good to do those at at other times also, not just when you're at the height of anxiety so that you get good at them. And it's just sometimes stopping for a second and being like, I'm just here in the world. Like, I'm like, everything's okay. Nothing is on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to die, you right. know, I'm, 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 you know, and, and, and practicing just taking a second, you know, and saying like, we're all okay. We're all, we're all just human beings doing this um, together. And so when you see someone struggling um, to do, to do that with them. Well, hold your thoughts because I'd like to continue this part of the conversation. I think this is where people can really get some valuable insights. 
Uh, you're tuned into 411 Team. We're going to take a brief break, but we'll get right back in. Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 80% of kids with a diagnosable anxiety disorder are not getting treatment, and anxiety disorders are highly treatable. The earlier diagnosed the easier it is to treat. Anxiety is a normal part of the human experience. So when one is going through this, they need to, to know that they are, are, are not alone. Quincy, would you add to that? you agree with that? What, do you, what would you say concerning that? Knowing that you know, there is someone there, that you're not the only one experiencing that. And I think you kind of touched on that when you were saying one of the reasons for writing your book was to kind of enlighten the kids. Yeah, first off, I think that it's great to just get a conversation about anxiety and about mental health in schools and in your household. And I think that even my book would be a way to do that. But just talking about it and making it something that someone's not nervous to say or embarrassed to say Mm -hmm. is a great first step. But I also think that parents, teachers, and adults can also help kids by just understanding the physical symptoms and getting ahead of that. How, How does one get to that point? How does one, obviously you are there, you may still have periods where you experience anxiety, but you seem to feel comfortable sharing what you have experienced. I mean, that you've done that in the book and you're so committed to it that you want to share it with, with others who may be going through the same thing that you experienced. How did you get to that point where you felt comfortable sharing? Communication is, is, is so important. And if we can open up the communication, I'm, that's often the first step. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, I've been working on it for so long, and I've been really open to discussing it. I started with, you know, therapists, and that was kind of my first stop to talking about it, and that helped me open up, but When I reached like around seventh grade, I realized that a lot of my friends had kind of feelings like me Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel as alone. So I really thought that and I still think that just talking about it and just realizing that everyone has like some of this like anxiety in them and that it's normal. And that really helped me feel like oh, I have a community, I have people I can talk to, and it's not something that I have to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bergman, do you have um, any healthy hints that you would share with you know parents and with adults as to how to open up the communication? 
um, create an environment where there's their child, the student, feels comfortable in sharing what they are experiencing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what, following really what Quincy was talking about, I mean, everybody has this. And mm -hmm. going back to when you were asking about, like, how do you know if it, if you need treatment, that that may be a, a, a related to the degree of severity, mm -hmm. but almost everybody can relate to the feeling of feeling a little too anxious, you know, uh, relative to the situation. So to open up communication, I would say that everybody, you know, parents, teachers can really communicate about their own experience mm. to kind of show their own vulnerability and the fact that they're they're going to be open to listening to the the whether it's their, you know, their teenage child or their younger child or their student or whatever to to listen to what they have to say. So, you know, just sharing it could be some insignificant relatively insignificant worry that that they had a teacher could be talking about their their worry about being late to class or not having their materials in order or or the parent can share whatever it is you know some self-disclosure about their own anxiety and maybe the way they dealt with it hopefully you know not to have a couple of drinks or something that might not be that healthy um, and that really can open up the conversation okay Quincy, let's um, share some of the tools that you have identified in the book. Now, the book, although it is the illustrations are just as cute as they can be, um, they, I found the book really helpful. No matter, I guess it's geared for younger younger children. Correct. Yeah, but I think the strategies really work for mm -hmm. everyone. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I mean, looking at the book and the illustrations, it's good for, for the younger children. But the the strategies and the in your toolbox seems like they could work for almost anyone. So yeah. that's what I want to ask you. Go over some of these strategies and share with us when they are utilized. Okay? Yeah, so I'd say... Out of all of them, the one that I use the most is the breathing exercise. So I write mm -hmm. it as bubble breathing in my story, but how I think of it is box breathing. So that's breathing in for four seconds, holding it for five and breathing out for six seconds. And so I think that that helps me just because it helps ground me. A lot of times anxiety can make you feel like you're not in control of yourself and not in control of your body. And so that is like a great way to help me. Um, I mean, the other ones, feel your feet in your shoes, another great grounding strategy. Um, so that's when you kind of work from your heels to your toes and you mm -hmm. um, kind of feel how that is. Um, I got my strategies from Dr. Bergman. So <laughs> Um, she was very helpful with that, but I'd say all of them are really effective. Okay. We haven't talked much about the role that school does or may play um, with children who, who have anxieties. And by that, I mean, what resources are available 
um, through the schools. I mean, have psychologists, you have counselors. I mean, did you, have you utilized any of those? Do you find that they are helpful? Or do, does one really need to explore their own independent um, psychologist? And that's I to think, both of you, you know, to you, to you, Quincy, and to you, Dr. Bergman. To Quincy, think, go ahead. I think that school counselors are a great resource for, you know, something small, like, oh, I got a bad grade on a paper and I'm feeling really stressed about it. Kind of lower level things. I do think it's great to have that resource, mm -hmm. but I think in just situations like mine, it's really important to find a therapist just because they know a lot more about the issue and they know how to treat it. I don't think school counselors are mm -hmm. like a huge impact on that, but that's also why I want to get my book into classrooms and to share those coping strategies within the classroom, but I'm not, I'd say go to a therapist if you're really struggling. Okay. Dr. Bergman, want to touch, touch on that? I touch crisis management maybe like something came you know came up and the kidney left the classroom or something like that but but if if it's at the point there's like an actual an anxiety disorder or the need for a longer term you're going to need to see a therapist and I also feel like it's important um to see a therapist who um, is well-trained in the treatment of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, I think you, you were, um, you were quoting um, about um, kids not getting, that there are effective treatments, but oh, kids aren't yeah, getting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they say 80%, you know, kids are, they really yeah. just aren't getting the and intervention and treatment that, that is indicated. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of therapists, a lot of um, licensed therapists in this country, um, and there's only a relatively small proportion of them that are doing the kind of evidence-based treatment that we know is effective for anxiety. So it's pretty important to to get that. And, you know, unfortunately, um, there are, you know, just issues with with you know, paying for the treatment and insurance coverage isn't great, um, but I think it's getting getting better. Um, one of the you you um, I think that that um, statistic came from the Anxiety um, Depression Association of mm -hmm. America. They have right. a lot of these different organizations have like find a therapist um, services, and they're pretty good for finding well trained. Um, providers, so that's that's a good strategy. Oh, that's but good just to know, so yeah, yeah, go to any of those anxiety and depression association of America. Um, yeah, that that one's good, and um, there's ABCT um, um, Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapy. Um, that that's good. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's a good place to find a, a well trained um, therapist. Um, I know one of the preferred treatments is cognitive behavioral therapy and wanted to ask you if you would elaborate and talk about that and how it's used with anxieties. Excuse me. 
Yeah, what what cognitive behavioral therapy um, does is help the person really pinpoint what their what the thoughts and behaviors are that are going on um, with them that are resulting in the symptoms. So what their their anxious thoughts are and their anxious behaviors, and then help them modify those in the treatment. Now, is that so, used with younger children? I mean, what do you do yeah. if you have somebody that you know is six, seven years of age and, and recognizes that they, you know, are feeling strange or funny or whatever they may, however they may identify it. Um, <clears throat> how would you intervene with that, with that particular patient? Even a seven-year-old is usually able to identify some sort of, of, you know, it's, it's as simple as what are you scared of? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, let's ask Quincy. Do you know what you were scared of when you were seven? I do. I was scared of uh, leaving my parents. Okay, so you know you can still work work with that. And and if if the kid is really unable to identify any thoughts, you know, you kind of dig into like what were the real specific thoughts. So she was afraid of leaving her parents. What was she afraid was going to happen? You know, you kind of get more and more specific, but if it's just behavioral, like you, then, then you work on changing the behaviors. And if the, the younger the child, the more likely it is that you, um, that you will also include a lot of work with the parents. Well, that you anticipated my next question because I just was going to ask you, <laughs> what is the role of parents in treatment, and does it change? And if so, yeah. when? Yeah, it it typically changes with the age of the the child, um, but a a big part of the of the work with the parents has to do with how they're um, reacting. Earlier, I was mentioning how. You know, parents typically um, react with, you know, if the child, if they're scared, they don't want to do something. And they're saying, you know, I don't want to go to school or like Quincy was saying, you know, she she was scared something would happen to her parents. So she didn't, you know, she probably didn't want them to go out. And mm -hmm. so they were, you know, she cried and said, don't go out, don't go out, don't go out. They were like, OK, we won't go out. <laughs> Um, and what's really tough is the treatment involves, you know what, you're going to, you're going to have to go out. <laughs> parents usually have mixed feelings because on the one hand, yeah, they kind of did want to go out, right. but on the other hand, they're like, wait, you're telling me I'm supposed to go out and my kid's going to cry and scream. Um, so you kind of work with them. And the, the reason why it's important for them to, to go out anyway, is because when someone's scared, something's bad's going to happen so that, and then and then they they avoid, you know, then the parents say, okay, we won't go out. The child never learns that, you know mm -hmm. what, that bad thing actually wasn't going to happen. Right. Yes. So that's why you need to go ahead and, and push it and have the parent do it so that the child can see that you know, the, the bad thing didn't happen. It wasn't because your parents didn't go out. It's because it wasn't going to happen anyway. Right. Important. Hey, that's really the whole key of the whole thing, <laughs> the, the treatment, to show that this I anxiety... It's not nearly, you know, at the point that you think it is. Exactly. That all that danger that, that you uh -huh. thought was out there, it's it's not actually as bad as you thought it was. <laughs> in 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 normalizing therapy, so to speak, for children and for for and for teenagers, um, what does that involve? What does that mean? 
uh, normalizing the therapy mm-hmm. itself. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I kind of get torn for that because I, I want, I, I think it's important that nobody thinks that it's, you know, wrong or bad to be in therapy mm-hmm. but when kids do kind of oh I don't want people to know mm-hmm. I'm in therapy I don't want I do sometimes tell them that this isn't the therapy of like like oh how do you feel about that and and right and, you exactly know, spilling yeah. your guts I I end up telling them that it, it's a lot more like like tutoring or coaching than than spilling your guts about your innermost feelings um and they often feel good about that but like I said I'm torn because I don't think there's anything wrong with therapy where you do spill your guts and talk about your innermost (laughs) feelings that's fine too it's Mm -hmm. just very different than what this is in this last minute or so Quincy again share for the listening audience the contact information for securing your book yeah so it's Frankie's fit fishyfeelings.com and within the website you can buy the book donate to get books into under um serve schools um or just look at some coping strategies so everything's there okay before we close dr bergman do you have any quick words of wisdom that you would like to share with the listening audience concerning anxiety I just just want to emphasize probably the most important thing, um, and I watched Quincy do it, and everybody is that you, whatever it is that's got you worried or scared, you just need to make the smallest step towards doing it, and that's the first step towards getting getting through your anxiety. Okay, well, I want to extend my sincere appreciation to you both, Quincy Caden and Dr. Lindsay Bergman. It is now time out. Many thanks to you, to you all for sharing your experiences and your expertise. Uh, to my listening audience, thank you for your time and your ear. Ask that you tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411-TV. Four One One Team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the Four One One Team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call 850-645-7200. You can listen to previous episodes of Four One One Team at wfsu.org.